Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the debut episode of VisionCon Live. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. You came to meet a living legend. He voices adult Gohan and the announcer from Dragon Ball Z, Kiba from Naruto, Aizen from Bleach, and Fat Gum from My Hero Academia, just to name a few. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my sincere pleasure to introduce you all the one, the only, Kyle Abair. Kyle, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fabu, fabuloso, marveloso. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on board. Oh, thanks for coming. Like I was telling everybody in the stream initially, when we started doing VisionCon Live, this is directly after this is the success of Virtual VisionCon, which I'd like to take some time to thank you all for tuning in and supporting. So we decided to do this vlog series called VisionCon Live. And this is, like I mentioned, the debut episode. But leading up to this, you know, I shot my shot at, you know, a various amount of celebrities. And, you know, certain ones got back to me. But I will admit, the one that I definitely swung to the fences for, never thought in a million years I would get a hear back from, was one, Kyle Hebert. So I was watching Bleach. My girlfriend uh, recently got me into it. And Aizen, which is a character that you voice, arguably the main antagonist, uh, was on screen. I had it paused. I went upstairs to grab some food. I came back, Twitter dinged on my phone, looked at it, saw it was from you, and I dropped my phone. So here we are now. I still can hardly believe it. But Kyle, thank you so much from all of us here at VisionCon and the world for joining us for VisionCon Live. Hey, it is my pleasure. And let me say your girlfriend has great taste in anime. She has great taste in anime, <laughs> arguable in men, but you know, well, well that's a different conversation. But, <laughs> But uh, Kyle, I wanted to start us off with, I wanted to hear the superhero origin story of Kyle Hebert. Give me, how did we get from little Kyle all the way to the massive success you are today? Golly, well, considering, let's see, in a few weeks I'm turning 51, so that's a, that's a long journey. I'm gonna have to give the Cliff's Notes version. Let's see, condense, condense, condense. Um, as a young kid watching uh, Looney Tunes, which is about to come back on HBO Max, brand new version of the classic cartoon characters, I was, I was fascinated, of course, and entertained like any other kid would be with cartoons and talking everything. Um, and my dad told, told me that there was a voice behind those things. So it's like, hey, you know, I'm like seven, eight years old. And like the concept didn't really hit with me until I thought about it. And it's like, oh, yeah, they go into a recording studio. They record all that. Like, what? I want to do that. That sounds fun. So back in the 70s, because I'm old, uh, <laughs> in the 70s, I would uh, take a cassette player and do little silly voiceovers and impressions and fake commercials and stuff. I grew up shy, very introverted, and I knew that I would have to get over that somehow. Um, I was also intrigued by radio, so I ended up getting an internship at a radio network in Dallas uh, for years, and that turned into a part-time job, which turned into a full-time job. So then I became a DJ on the radio. And that helped get me past the hump of being shy because I knew I wanted to perform, but I didn't necessarily want an audience watching me, if that makes any sense. So I'm on the radio and I am a DJing everything from classic country to heavy metal to kids radio for Radio Disney. I was a DJ for Radio Disney uh, between 96 and 2005. 2005 is when I moved out to L.A. Uh, and in the middle of that, in 2000, I heard about auditions at Funimation, which I was already a fan of DBZ. Uh, it had been airing in the States, the Canadian English dub, the first two sagas over and over again <laughs> on independent stations and Cartoon Network picked it up. And at the time that I was auditioning, it was like the number one thing on Cartoon Network. So it was like multiple dreams come true. It's like I get to be a part of something I'm a fan of. And I'm getting to record professionally and in voiceover. And like that literally started my career. I got to start with little bit part voices because dubbing is, is a very technical thing. They got to make sure that you can do it. You know, you're performing and doing a voice and acting and, and, and matching lip sync. And I guess I faked it rather well. You know, everyone, most people coming in there at Funimation had never done anything like that before. A lot of people came from stage 
on on stage or maybe some people on camera. Uh, I'm one of the few, I think Chris Sabat has a, a background in radio too, but I'm one of those weird anomalies, I guess, that crossed over uh, from the radio world. And uh, again, fast forward to 2005, I knew ultimately I wanted to voice in cartoons and games and expand the repertoire as it were. So um, I met Steve Bloom, the legend Steve Bloom, who uh, who really opened some doors for me, he helped me. We were a guest at a con together, and he says, "Okay, well, when you move out to L.A., you know, get in touch, and I'll uh, I'll try and see if I can pass your demo along and get get you some work." And he totally did, which was amazing. Um, I even signed with the agent that he has, so I've been with her ever since, and it's it's been a dream come true, and I owe it all to. Golly, just while sticking to it, I have really supported parents working at Funimation and them believing in me because that has been the foundation, the real cornerstone that helped open up going to conventions around the world and uh, getting to record another huge projects. It's been a wild ride. I mean, I, I personally love hearing that, you know, Steve Bloom actually really vouched for you and helped you because I actually compare the two of you to about essentially the same level. I, I really hold you both in pretty high regard. So it's really glad to hear that um, both two of my heroes are both great people. But um, did you kind of think that Gohan and the announcer for DBC was kind of your first big break or did that come either later or earlier? That was my first big role was Gohan. Then a few months into it, uh, I took over as the narrator. And uh, I guess to this day, Gohan and the narrator continue to be the most popular voices I get asked to do and sign autographs for, even though the narrator isn't a character per se. But I get a lot of people on Cameo saying, hey, can you wish me happy birthday as the narrator? And I do that a lot. So it's like this, this narrator is like the most powerful being in the whole universe. And I say that because he's God. He decides when that'll start and end. I mean, in a, in a universe where characters can literally blow up planets. I mean, yes, that's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful force. But yeah. I, would, I would argue that the announcer really has taken a character of its own. I do have one friend in particular who always, whenever we're just kind of casually just hanging out, he just like, bust out that voice. Nowhere close to nearly as good as you, but you know, I would argue that the announcer is a character just as much as Goku or even Gohan. Well, well, thank you. And I'm, I, I gotta say, I'm not the only narrator out there. Like for the, ever since Dragon Ball Kai, Dragon Ball Z Kai came out, it's been Doc Morgan, who was a DJ in the Dallas area. He's doing a great job. And we started recording Kai at a point where I was they already knew I was picking up and moving to the West Coast. And then we didn't have a, a way to do long distance recording that was feasible within a budget. So and now, you know, we're all recording from home because of necessity. People are upgrading their home studios and whatnot. So, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's like, whoa, who to thunk? Who to thunk? Before I actually move on uh, to the other things I wanted to ask, I want you to hold on to that idea. Real quick, because uh, people are uh, both talking, asking, and ridiculing me in the chat. Guys, I know that he voices way more than just those four characters, but I mean, if you look, just look in IMDb. If I spent time just reading every name, we'd have about five minutes for this interview. But yes, you voice a plethora of other characters, Full Metal Alchemist, Digimon, there's a lot more listed right here. Video games, didn't even touch on video games, but... 100% go and check his full work on IMDb to be able to see if a lot of your favorite characters are probably voiced by Mr. Kyle himself. Another thing I want to touch on though, there are some questions in the chat already. For the last 10 or 15 minutes, I am going to open it up to viewer questions. So good on asking you guys, on asking questions guys, but I'm going to try to get to as many as possible. Just bear with me. But the next question I wanted to ask is something you actually kind of brought up. Uh, with this kind of craziness with COVID-19, a lot of Actors and artists such as yourself are having to upgrade their home studios, you know, to do the work from home. Do you find it that you as a voice actor have kind of an advantage in that front over more stage actors or actors that act in your know, movies, shows, etc.? Uh, definitely. It's uh, <clears throat> one of the few branches of the entertainment industry that have managed to just kind of continue on uh, with relatively few hiccups other than 
the real heroes here behind the scenes, the audio engineers who have uh, worked with a lot of the actors testing, you know, we're doing test recordings and they're evaluating the booth space we're in and what sort of acoustical treatment we should have. I, as you can probably tell, I'm in a closet. I don't have a, a, an actual studio, but I have a great walk-in closet and I passed all the tests. The engineers say, you sound great. It's awesome. Well, was like, okay, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but I upgraded uh, from a, uh, a Scarlett pre-amplifier for my mic, which is a Neumann TLM 103, one of those studio workhorses. These things aren't cheap, by the way, uh, but Yay, credit cards. Uh, <laughs> You're coming through crystal clear, so I mean, you know, it was yes. I oh, got Lee, I would hope so. But yeah, um, we've been able to forge ahead as, a, as opposed to on-camera productions or on-stage productions. Um, yeah, because we're able to hop on things like Skype and Zoom uh, to see the visuals and then through audio programs like Source Connect or ISDN and there's some other ones out there too that we can get that digital patch quality between, I guess, the audio engineer's home setup as well um, because people are doing post-production from home, obviously directing from home, writing, which has always been from home and all of this stuff coming together. And hopefully, again, the heroes are the engineers to, to mix everyone's recording, which happens separately, obviously. And then, piece it together so hopefully it sounds like everyone's in the same room well and speaking to your uh closet studio i mean if it makes you feel better i know i have this kind of nice little backdrop over here but i mean to my left on the floor i have a coffee machine so um you know for what that's worth but um <laughs> moving on to a, a slightly less uh, non-covid19 topic i did want to touch on another character that you voice now gohan is pretty undeniably you know a hero, one of the protagonists in the DBZ universe. But I wanted to go to a bad guy. One that uh, is very well known in both the Bleach and anime universe, Aizen. Now, uh, jumping off Gohan, kind of how did you get to be from one of the most famous protagonists to one of the most famous antagonists? Well, getting to audition for Bleach basically happened because I had already auditioned and been cast as Kiba in Naruto. Uh, both were being recorded by Studiopolis here in Los Angeles, which was hired by Viz um, because they don't have an in-house recording studio. And I think they're based in San Francisco anyway, but um, they hired uh, LA recording studio Studiopolis uh, to record. And uh, that's one of the studios that Steve Bloom passed my demo on to. And they said, Hey, this guy's moving here from Texas. He's been on Dragon Ball Z you guys should give them a shot and they totally did and they brought me on board naruto a few minutes a few minutes a few months later the uh the bleach dub was uh gonna start and i got to uh read for a bunch of characters i forgot all who who i, I think i did read for ichigo um did you really yeah yeah i read for ichigo ichigo's dad um Udahara, little bit of everybody and I ended up getting Ganju Shiba which uh, he's I kind of ended up doing kind of a Patrick Warburton-esque sort of voice you know he's sort of a little bit like Kronk on Emperor's New Groove but Aizen yeah I saw him and I saw the description he said he's mysterious and friendly and in my mind I thought and I had I don't watch shows in raw Japanese or subtitled I, I, I was just going on what the audition specs said the Basically, he's, they didn't even say that he was the bad guy of the show. Um, so with the mystery, the, the things that popped into my mind is he's kind of mysterious. You don't know what his real motivations are. And he's friendly. I thought of this classic sci-fi movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey. And on that is a computer. It's not even AI because that concept wasn't around then in the late 60s. But a talking computer, which basically was in charge of the life support and all that for the astronauts. One point in the movie, this computer, the HAL 9000, turns off all the life support and basically all the astronauts, or most of them, except for one or two, die. You know, they're fro frozen in stasis, they're hibernating, and suddenly they're dead. And the computer's just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. And so, 
that inspiration for the voice kind of caught me in that sort of not monotone. You can tell there's some emotion behind it, but you're not quite sure if you can trust them. And that turned out to be the right instinct. So that was, that was, uh, that was cool. <laughs> I will say coming from someone who uh, is very late on the bleach train uh, and you know, I'm turning 25 later this year. So I'm a bit older than a lot of people who probably got into bleach uh, saw. And uh, I do want to chime in real quick um, with this and possibly others. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are watching, there are possibilities for some spoilers for some of these animes. So if you don't want any of these spoiled, you know, I would, this is going to be recorded and posted later. So you guys can watch this, of course, when it gets posted and skip through this part. But uh, with that warning said, uh, Isaac. So uh, like I said, you know, turning 25 this year, I'm a bit older and less naive. Um, and so not you know, 100% ready to trust people or that, that all didn't matter. Like, the big, the big, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The big um, plot twist uh, that, about Aizen, you know, not actually being dead, actually being the main bad guy, never in a million years saw that coming. I felt betrayed. <laughs> because just like your delivery with the voice, I mean, it's one of compassion and like, yeah, it kind of has kind of an even tone, but it's one that like, Never in a million years that I think was going to be like sinister until it was. And I'm so, sorry. I mean, <laughs> so I want to applaud you because, like, I mean, I wanted to applaud you and also say, you know, what the heck? Because I don't know, I just I didn't see that coming. And, you know, I can't imagine if I had seen it. Uh, I mean, you probably would have just wrecked my whole sense of self if I had watched it when I was any younger. But, yeah, kidding. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we all try to lift the dialogue off the pages as best we can and uh, obviously do right by the fans and, and give them something that they can be proud of because uh, it's such a huge show with such a huge fan base. And by the time we're working on the dub, folks keeping up with the Japanese uh, episodes, you know, they're way far ahead mm -hmm. of where we are in the dub. And I know that a lot of people can be very critical uh, of, uh, of dub adaptations, not just voices, but script choices or pronunciations or whatnot. And uh, I remember at the time for, for, for those early Eisen episodes, I was directed by Wendy Lee, Faye Valentine from Cowboy Bebop. She directs tons of show, shows and games and, and stuff. And uh, you know, your first and foremost thing to do when you're an actor in the booth is to satisfy the director and they in turn are supposed to turn in this work to the client. And, you know, sometimes the client listens in uh, to help set the voice and everything from the beginning. And I believe some folks from Viz listened to our very first session and made sure that they were happy with the voice and the performance and they were. So we hung up the phone and continued on and, um, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was something, golly, it was so long ago too, that we started on that. Well, you actually mentioned something that I actually perfectly transitions into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, uh, you said that you brought like a big job about voice actors is you bring the characters off the script, off the paper into life. And, you know, obviously that's not an easy thing to do. Otherwise, you know, anybody could do it. But I did want to ask you, are there any characters in particular that you yourself struggle with that you are, and conversely, is there any characters that you specifically either identify with or find it far easier to embody? Well, I don't find that inhabiting the skin of a character, ooh, that sounded scary, creepy serial killer. <laughs> but, but, but becoming another character, I think it's more exciting and enticing to take on a challenge, you know, something that's further from you. Of course, it's easy to draw upon experience and say, oh, this aspect of this character is something I can relate to. And you're basically mimicking sort of where, where that comes from. But I think it's, it's a cooler challenge and utilizes things like skills that, that come through time with training, like improv. Uh, and a lot of people wonder, like, how does improv and making up a song on, on, on the thing, like you see from whose line is it anyway, or, or those basic improv games, you know, how does that come into play? Believe me, improv is one of those things that comes into play every time we step in a booth or now every time we step in our closet or our home studio to record. We're seeing this material for the first time. There's no rehearsals, there's no dry runs, there's no anything. We're, fa we're in fact seeing the footage for the first time in, in the studio. 
and we're previewing each line in Japanese. So we have an idea of where, um, you know, contextually how loud or how soft we need to make it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think improv and in, in bringing new things, you know, and seeing what sticks, you know, you may have an idea as an actor, you sit there and say, I got this idea for it. What do you think? And the director is like, eh, no. And then other times the director is like, yes, yes, let's do that. Let's dial that in. It's a kind of a symbiotic uh, relationship. Sometimes when, when coming up with voices, uh, it could be just, you know, little background things, unnamed characters. They're named on the script like Man A and Demon C and Cop B and all that. But they don't have names for the character for the story. Those can be, I guess you could delineate them as voices. But to become an actual character, it's something far beyond doing impressions and, and all that. It's, it's yeah, of course, bringing a piece of you, and, but bringing your own unique spin to it. And, and this is a skill that takes place uh, or takes time to try and hone and perfect. And, you know, we're always a work in progress. You know, just because I've been doing this for 20 years doesn't mean that, I couldn't still learn something from taking voice acting classes and stuff. There's new trends, there's new everything uh, to stay on top of. So it's a good way to, for actors to keep their chops up, you know? Sure, absolutely. Well, the next character I wanted to jump to, and again, guys, I know that Kyle Hebert voices so many characters, anime, cartoons, video games. So it's hard to encapsulate all of them, but I'm trying to encapsulate, you know, the ones that I would argue most people probably know you from. So the next one is Kiba. Now, before I get to it, I just wanted to, to say a, a funny anecdote. So as I told you previously before we went live, you know, Naruto is, you know, one of my favorite things in the world. And so uh, a struggle that I've had to uh, recent, not recently, but when I first started, uh, you know, interviewing celebrities such as yourself, I had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I'm an interviewer slash host first, a fan second. So I can't focus on uh, the characters that are really near and dear to me. I have to, you know, do it all encompassing to uh, get, you know, so the fans and uh, people watching are satisfied. So uh, as I was getting ready for this interview, I literally looked in my, my bathroom mirror and I said to myself, do not focus on Kiba. Which... Arguably, isn't that hard for you because you voice a plethora of characters that I personally am invested in. But for people like Robbie Rist, who I interviewed earlier uh, in the month, I had to make sure I didn't focus all on Choji. But uh, for Kiba, was there any story behind that? Is it just a role that you kind of shot for? Or is there kind of a deeper kind of story behind it? Uh, it's not an exciting story. It's just a matter of uh, I had access to the script and they said, Hey, pick whoever you want to read for because I was still kind of new with, with Studiopolis and they know that they wanted to have me on their, their talent roster to read from. And Kiba was one of the ones that I, uh, I picked to read for. I even, I think, uh, I quietly talked to a, a friend of mine who is much more in touch with, uh, the hottest trends in anime and, uh, and I asked her, I said, hey, these characters I'm reading for, who has the biggest role? <laughs> and he said, oh, you, you, you want to read for Kiba for sure. He's, he's a fan favorite. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But I, that's the only inside scoop that I had. I wanted to, to hopefully land a character that meant something to the fans and everything. And even though he hasn't had nearly the amount of screen time as, as the main cast, I have noticed through years of being on the con circuit and talking to fans online and whatnot that those side characters mean the world. You know, people watching Dragon Ball Z, you know, people, yeah, they love Goku, but a lot of people, for example, tend to prefer Vegeta or Piccolo or something like that. Kind of like Harry Potter, you know, is Harry Potter the most interesting character that everyone gravitates towards? Like, ah, no, probably not. They gravitate towards the other ones. So, I, uh, I take pleasure in, in, in knowing that I was able to, uh, to play a character like that. Um, I know that vocal-wise, it's not any different than what I did with, with Gohan, other than Kiba is a little bit younger. So, 
it was a little bit hard to kind of get high up here without my voice cracking. Um, and then of course, as he grew, I was able to bring the, the voice down and, and all that. So through the filler arc and everything, he sounded a little more like me. Uh, and then the uh, Shaputin and, uh, and now Boruto, you know, um, I can't believe that we're still going. <laughs> I mean, I'm psyched again, you know, it's one of my personal favorite things. So when I uh, saw that all the original voice actors, for the most part, were coming back, you included, I, I was pretty psyched. Now you did mention something that I actually kind of want to explore a little more on. Okay. Uh, you know, like I said, you voice so many characters. If we touched on all of them, we'd be here all day. Uh, not that I would mind, but you know, again, you're a busy man. So does there any ever struggle kind of differentiating characters? You know, I'm sure, you know, only, people only have so many voices in them that they can do before some of them start to overlap. But I was just curious to see if, you know, you ever struggle with kind of differentiating any of them or if you have any tips for uh, people kind of looking to get into voice acting for that. I think a lot of people initially think that being a voice actor automatically means you have to have a thousand voices in you. You have to be Robin Williams. You have to be Jim Carrey. You have to uh, be you know, Mel Blanc from the classic Looney Tunes and have all these different things. But one of the key things that you learn from even Mel Blanc's performances is you can kind of tell that it is the same guy doing the voices, but those characters come to life because of different traits that inhabit those characters, whether it be a dialect or a character tick like Porky Pig or those, you know, from Sylvester and Daffy Duck and all that stuff. Things like you know, in helping to differentiate the characters, because like you said, there's only so many voices one can do. And, you know, a lot of people I think can be a little naive and saying, well, that guy just does the same two voices on everything. But I think if you listen to the performances and really study them, you'll see that Kiba is not the same as Gohan. Ryu in Street Fighter is not the same as, golly, he really does sound in the same uh, range as, Bato Fallman in Full Metal Alchemist, <laughs> or Kamina in Gurren Lagann is also very Gohan-ish, and he happens to be around the same age, I think, uh, but a totally different character, a totally different um, background and all that. So hopefully if we're doing our job right, uh, even if the voice sounds similar to other things we've done before, uh, we're able to, to, you know, establish enough differences in the character itself, because that's what we're really trying to go for. It's not merely coming up with a voice. It's trying to round out that performance. Absolutely. Well, the next character I wanted to touch on, it's kind of differentiates themselves uh, from the previous ones that I touched on, because this one, uh, the, the ones that I touched on previously, yeah, they have their funny moments, but I'd say arguably, you know, they're much more serious, kind of, you know, they got things to do, and by golly, they're going to do it. This next character, though, uh, is a rather recent one. Uh, his name's Fat Gun. Uh, do you have as much fun as I like to think you have with that? Because just by the sound of it, and just the character itself, it kind of feels like it's just a ride of a character. But I'm curious to see if that's actually the case. Who wants candy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Again, another teenage-sounding character. So vocal-wise, he's not different from any other teenager I've voiced. But um, yeah, the, the character and his love of takoyaki and oh my gosh, just yeah, absolutely. Like you say, it's, it's a blast to play that character and I hope he comes back a lot more in, in the My Hero universe because the, the fans have been gaga over him. And I remember the first time I saw a picture of him, uh, I said, I don't know if they've cast this character yet, but I hope I get to read for it. And that, that eventually did happen. Colleen Clinkenbeard, the director, uh, reached out and said, I have a character I think you should read for. It's like, oh, <laughs> who is it? It's like, it's Fat Gum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I read for it, and initially I gave a much more cartoony character sort of sound but they said, let's, let's pull off the rasp and, and the cartooniness and ground him a little more. And that was a wise choice because the fans seem to love that performance better. So I'm glad that we were able to, to deliver on that. And uh, I can't wait. I'm, I just want Pop Funko to make a figure of him. 
I'm surprised they haven't. I mean, as popular as My Hero is, I mean, I kind of assumed that at this point, all the characters would have their own. But, you know, one day, one day. But, one day, fingers crossed. But um, I did want to touch on something that you actually mentioned kind of inadvertently uh, that you had read for a couple characters in Bleach, be it, you know, Ichigo, yeah. Notorama, stuff like that. Are there any other standout roles that you applied for and, or, and tried out for and just didn't get or got another character? Kind of a have a fun look back at what could have been? Golly. I've read for, golly, so many things. <laughs> I know I'm asking a lot. This is a first world problem. I've gotten to, I mean, I'm so blessed to get to do this as a job. So even auditioning, even if you don't get the part, it's still like, wow, I got to read for that. They thought I was good enough to at least try. Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like... Um, all the Star Wars cartoons, you know, that would be a dream come true for me. Uh, get on board any uh, Marvel DC Universe stuff. I've done some Marvel cartoon stuff on Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But uh, golly, I mean, when I hear the performances of the main characters, I see no one else. I'm, I'm not going to be egotistical and think, oh, I could do better than that because I really don't think that way. Um, I think the producers choose the best people. Uh, for those roles and you know I kind of look at my situation and I try to stay grounded and say all right well it just wasn't meant to happen if I read for Batman or something it's like I don't really want to get Batman because I don't want to be compared to Kevin Conroy or I don't want to be the Joker because I don't want to be compared to uh, Mark Hamill <laughs> and that that's one of those things I, I want to be cast as a character that doesn't have a voice yet not that I would say no if someone wants to say, here, be Bugs Bunny. You're like, ah, you know. But uh, in general, uh, golly, for all these projects through the years, it would have been great to be uh, Marcus Phoenix that John DiMaggio got in Gears of War. Um, so many things. Of course. Well, there was one last thing I wanted to touch on before we go into the closing stuff and then viewers' questions. Um, yeah. One Piece. Now, you voice uh, quite a few characters, and I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on all the big three uh, animes, but uh, are there any differentiating, differentiating factors involved in those characters versus the characters you do for, you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Full Metal Alchemist, any of the characters I voice? I brought up previously or is it just kind of all in the same vein though well the process is exactly the same in any other voiceover role you get the audition script in the case of anime and video games and cartoons you might get a, a picture to help you kind of formulate an idea of where you want to go and there's a paragraph or so with some bullet points about the character it's like here's the age here's what he's like is he uh you know, a grizzled war veteran, or is he a young, naive hero? Or, you know, you, you see basic archetypes, or sometimes the audition script will come with a, a YouTube clip or an MP3 reference. It's like, we want something along the lines of this. Sometimes they'll even just say, we want this to sound kind of like this famous person. And they almost never choose that. <laughs> but they just want to see what's out there. Because a lot of times these, the clients that choose the voiceover cast, um, they, they're not sure what they're looking for until they hear it. And that's why it's important for all actors to <coughs> remember the key thing. That it's like, if you don't get chosen, it's not because you were bad. They hear something that, that caught their ear and they thought would work best for the character. And, you know, if, uh, if it doesn't happen, maybe it'll happen on the next round. You know, we, we are batting averages for even the, the veterans who've been doing this for decades. We only make like a handful of actual roles per hundred auditions, sure. which sounds like an awful batting average. It's like, I should just give up now. But the way I try to like think of a, to a positive spin on it is to say, all right, for every one that I'm not getting cast for, I'm one closer to the one that I will. Um, I like to think that, what is your job as a voice actor to audition? I don't get paid to, but when you're auditioning, you're getting to practice your acting. You're getting to, as if you were working, 
So that's definitely a positive. If you're not out there taking classes, training to do this sort of thing, once you're on an audition list and you're getting auditions on a regular basis, either through networking through your own peeps or, or knowing actors who might know someone who knows someone who's casting, getting that demo heard. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I did have two more questions before we go into viewers uh, questions. Now I want to go away from, I know we've been talking a lot about the characters you voice and you know, that's been very stimulating and fun, but I actually, the next question I have is for Kyle Hebert. Now, you are big in the con circuits, you know, be it Anime Expo, you know, some of the bigger Comic Cons, which was also why, you know, when, when I initially messaged you asking if you'd like to do this interview and you actually got back to me, I was like, there's no way. Did I message the right Kyle Hebert? But, um, you know, turns out I did. But uh, I did want to know kind of how's that like coming from someone, you know, from you know, Texas all the way to where you are now in all of these big expos and conventions kind of, you know, is it, is it kind of humbling? Is it kind of a long time coming or somewhere in between? I, f I feel like the journey <clears throat> has been what it's meant to be, if that makes any sense, because when you have a passion for anything in life and you stick to it, you know, deep down in your heart and your soul of souls that this is going to work because I don't see myself doing anything else. I want this that bad that I'm going to chase this dream and I don't care how long it takes. <clears throat> uh, getting to be successful in the LA marketplace is something that doesn't happen overnight. And I was dead broke for many years. I didn't get, uh, being able to live and sustain on just voice acting is something that that's a goal in itself to be able to make a living doing something you love. It's not about, Oh, I want my big goal is to be rich and famous and all that. It's like, and if you're, if that's your motivator, this isn't the career. I mean, I think that's the wrong motivator. You should want to do it because it's fun because it challenges you. It, uh, it awakens this creative side. And again, you can apply that to anything. People who want to be an artist, people who want to be a mechanic, people who want to be president, whatever. You know, you got to take baby steps towards achieving those goals and they'll come when they're meant to. Um, so do I wish I had been cast on everything I read for? Of course, it's not realistic. Do I wish I just move into LA and, and people would just call me and that phone would ring and the inbox would be just overflowing with, Oh my God, we want you. Yes, of course. But that's just not how life works. So um, it is humbling. It is wild because I never thought in a million years I'd get to travel the world and see places like Sydney, Australia or New Zealand or London, England and go to Canada and whatnot. But because of these conventions, I've, I've been able to do all this. So I'm so grateful to the fans, to the studios that uh, believed in me and gave me a shot. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something that I, I am very proud that I've come this far, but I think I'm not complacent in that. I'm not going to just rest on those laurels. I think I have a long way to go too. That's, I mean, that's really awesome. I mean, yeah, it, in a lot of ways, kind of what that comes to me across and a saying that I've taken to heart recently is kind of, you miss every shot you don't take. Is that kind of a similar thing to being in voice <laughs> acting? Yeah, you, you don't want to have the regret of not having tried. There's a lot of people, and even, even on their deathbed, they'll say, I wish I had dot, dot, dot. Well, I'm not saying people are waiting till their deathbed to go, I wish I had tried voice acting. But I mean, when you're at a, at a place in your life, in, in your path and going, okay, do I want to sling burgers forever? No, of course not. What do I want to do with my life? Do I want to help people? Do I want to entertain people? Do I just want to make music? Do I want, you know, whatever it is you figure out for yourself. And that doesn't happen overnight either. Uh, yeah, you just remember that you got to go for it. At worst, it doesn't work out. So what? You learn stuff, even from all the quote negative experiences or quote failures. They're, they're just, they're life experiences and, and you can learn from them and it might even help put you on a path if you're, if you're missing that sort of guidance or direction. So 
Well, Hopefully that, that puts a, a, a positive spin out there. And I want to inspire people to please follow your dream. Don't give up. I don't care what age you are. If you say, I'm too old to, to get into this, or if it's like, oh, I'm too young, I'm still in high school. No, it's never too late. It's never too late. Well, I would say that you've definitely inspired plenty of people around the world. I know that, A, because I honestly do believe that, and B, I mean, they're chomping at the bit in this chat. So I got one more question, guys, and then I'll get to you guys. The last thing is I'd like to give you an, an opportunity to kind of plug yourself. You know, I, I know we all have access. You know, we got Funimation, Hulu, Netflix. We have access to all of your works but I want to know if the people want more access and more content from the one and only Kyle Bear. how do they get to that? I know uh, one that comes to mind directly to me is Cameo, which is a kind of application and service that has definitely rised in popularity recently. So I'd like to, anything you want to plug, Kyle? Yeah, well, Cameo is definitely one of those uh, because it is a great thing to bridge the gap between those in the entertainment world and the fan base. The internet and social media has helped do that for so many people that would otherwise not know, you know, maybe they're not technology prone or, or whatnot. And Cameo is one of those great ways where, where fans can come up with something they want to say as if it, they were at a convention and say, hey, can you say this? And then, you know, you know it's, uh, it's kind of like a virtual video shout out sort of thing. Um, and I get a couple of those a day, which is awesome. And like sometimes even in the middle of the night, because some people are from different points on the globe and they're like, Hey, uh, I, I, I just went through a tough time. Can you give me some Kamina advice or do this as the narrator? We're having our second anniversary or whatnot. And it's so much fun to get to do that. And when I just look on the cameo app itself and see all the different people, sports figures, pop culture, actors, athletes, all the, I mean, the wide spectrum of people out there getting in touch with their fans this way. It's, it's really cool. So yeah, I'm on cameo, cameo.com slash Kyle a bear. I also have a, a, a pinned tweet on Twitter at Kyle a bear. Also that had that same name on Instagram. So I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram, I think. Uh, I have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash KyleAbearVO. Uh, I, I have my web domain too, KyleAbear.com, but who goes to websites anymore, right? <laughs> it's all about social media. I mean, be that as it may, we will, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you missed any of them or would like to reiterate, we will include when we post the uh, recording, uh, we'll include all these links in the description. So don't worry, guys. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like, it's like, well, where are the cons right now? I would love to meet you and get an autograph. Um, <clears throat> there's different services out there that are helping to coordinate with a lot of the anime voice actors and video game cartoon people to do virtual signings where basically the person who wants to get the autograph goes to a website and picks out an auto, a print and they pre-purchase it basically. And within X number of weeks or whatever, the actor will have that whole list compiled and look at their list of prints and start pulling it and start autographing for those people. And they'll videotape it too. It's like getting the cameo shout out plus an autograph. And then it gets mailed out to you after the fact. Uh, so the first one that I have lined up, I'm doing right now through Zobie Productions, Z-O-B-I-E. Um, if you, if you type that, uh, look up Zobie on Google, they, they have a bunch of autograph pre-orders right now for like Chris Sabat and a whole bunch of, golly, I just from every walk of life, people are doing autograph sessions. So I'm going to be doing that for, through all these different organizations coming up. Uh, through the summer months anyway. Uh, we'll see where this virus leads us in the fall. I don't know how conventions are going to work considering the con experience means hugs and handshakes and, you know, how are we going to take pictures with the mask on and, you know, all that. I don't know how we're going to figure all that out, but we've got the things going now with social media interaction and the autograph signings online and, and whatnot. So I look forward to, to hearing from those who want to reach out and, grab a signature or a shout out or something. Love talking to the fans, man. We may have to be, you know, L bros for, uh, for a while. Bros. 
once this thing uh, settles down. But one day, one day, you know, things will come back to normal. But uh, all right, guys. Well, now I'm going to open it up to uh, viewers' comments and questions. So real quick, I'll scroll up. My goodness, have you all been vocal? Uh, da -da 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 -da. Okay, I got a bunch of hey's and hellos. Oh, and a special one from, uh, give me one sec, I saw it. Oh, uh, Charlotte Cross, which is actually, it's her and her sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Charlotte. Happy birthday. Uh, they all wanted to say hello. Okay, we've got a question. Are you still, from uh, David Fitz II, are you still traumatized with that guy who licked your forehead? Oh, which yeah. I, which I'd read that before I said it out loud, but oh, here oh, we go. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> this was years ago called Anime Blues Con in Memphis. It was their first year. I'm just sitting in the lobby, and the guests are flying in and stuff. It's like the first day of the con. Some guy, he's dressed up. I forget as who. He just comes by me and says hi and all that. And then he just proceeds to lean forward and bleh, licked my head. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I was like frozen. But that became a good con story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's gotten a lot worse than other people. I mean, they've been worse than licked. They've been like roofied. And sure. people will give them cookies that have drugs in them or something. And so, so word of advice to the fans, don't, don't make food for the actors because chances are they're not going to eat them just because just to be on the safe side. And, and we know it comes from a good place and all that. And, you know, there's way more positivity out there than negativity in the fandom. But yeah, yeah. Some, some get a little, little attached, little clingy, uh, some hug and don't want to let go. Uh, oof. Yeah, the lick one, uh, I hadn't thought about that till you just brought it up. So I guess I've tried to scrub it out of my memory. Well, I mean, there's only so much you can. Would you say that since uh, people like get attached to these characters that you and other voice actors kind of embody, that they forget that you're a person at the end of the day and detached you know, you do give life to this character, but you're also, at the end of the day, Kyle Bear. And so, do you think that kind of has something to do with it? Not that it at all excuses it, but do you think that may, you know, kind of... I get, I get it a lot. A lot of people say, hey, Gohan. It's like, hey, I'm Kyle. I'm the voice <laughs> of Gohan. My wife hates that. It's like, you're married to Gohan? It's like, no, I'm married to Kyle. <laughs> it's a, there's kind of a difference there. Sure. Uh, and... I mean, I get it. The fans are excited and all that. It's like, oh my gosh, you're so-and-so. It's like, well, I, I do his voice. But yes, thank you for the passion. End of the day. Uh, comments and guitars. Okay. Uh, okay, from Elton, um, they wanted to know about Kazuichi from Danganronpa. His vocal range is super high-pitched, which isn't usual for Kyle, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Um, you know, you definitely do have, you know, by default, kind of, you know, a low voice, um, kind of, you know, at your disposal. But a lot of the Dankenrafa characters, uh, my girlfriend and their friends are very huge into those games. And so I've vicariously heard those voices. And a lot of them are very high up in um, the vocal range. So I'm, I'm kind of curious myself, kind of, how do you uh, tackle those challenges? Well, I think all the studios in this case, Bang Zoom, uh, which recorded the Danganronpa games, they kind of, uh, they're always familiar with everyone's range. They know, you know, they're not gonna throw me something that I can't do. It's like, here, be a 10 year old. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. But I can try the voice and if, if, if they're happy with it, then we'll go with it. It's like, so yeah, doing a higher pitch voice, like, oh, it's, yeah. Oh, Miss Sonia. Oh, yeah, Kazuichi. So, and I have to do that same kind of pitch for Escanor on Seven Deadly Sins, where he's like, way up here and all timid. And then he's big and manly, which is a lot of fun because I get to do both extremities for both extremes for the same character. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't find it really difficult. I always like a challenge. Never a man to shy away from a challenge. I dig it. Now, no. Aaron wanted to know, and I'm also actually going to kind of piggyback off his question, but first ask his initial question. Are there any favorite Digimon characters that you voiced and any kind of magical memories of that? 
And then I also want to, after you answer that one, I'm curious uh, to know, are there any characters of the plethora that you have that really like stay with you? Ones that like, obviously you're proud of all of your work, but ones that like, you really do have a fond place in your heart. Yeah, uh, in terms of Digimon, I voiced uh, Darulamon and Ballistamon. Uh, and golly, uh, lately in the past year on the Digimon Tri movies, golly, I was one of the main ones. There's so many Mons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was Lex Lang bef before, but I took over him and uh, it was like Greymon and Metal Greymon and War Greymon. And, got to do all those too. So it's fun to play in that universe. It's fun to play in the Pokemon universe. <laughs> you know, some various things. Oh, golly. Uh, in terms of ones that have really stuck with me, characters, obviously Gohan. Uh, that's where it all started. I, I can certainly relate to his kind of naive, innocent, like deer in the headlights aspect and his total dorky side. Great Saiyan man. I, I love that nerdy side of him. Kamina has meant a lot because he's a source of inspiration and in, in getting through sort of any adversity. And uh, yeah, getting to play that character. It's meant so much to so many people from around the world. It's like literally made a difference. You know, maybe they were suicidal or they were in a really dark place and then they watched that show and that character really kind of helps pick them up. And that that's like icing on the cake. You never think about it when you're recording you just like, I am having fun. And then you find out once it's out there in the ether and people are consuming it that, you know, hey, maybe it's, you're entertaining people, but you're also making a difference in some people's lives and maybe helping inspire them to follow their dreams, whatever it is. So it's like, hey, that's cool. That's awesome. That feels, that's more soul enriching than making a paycheck or anything. So I think that's, I mean, I, I think that's a perfect place to end it on this. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been a dream come true, AKA an interview with Kyle Hebert for this first episode of VisionCon Live. Like I said, all of the links to everything that we talked about will be in the video's description once we post this recorded video. If you have any other questions at all for us for VisionCon, make sure to shoot us a message. Follow us on all social media, as well as Kyle. Kyle, do you have any last word before we head off? Thank you to all the fans out there. Thank you each and every one of you for getting involved in, in the fandom communities. You guys help create and drive the artist to create the art for you. And I'm so blessed to, to, to be involved in such a wonderful community of fellow actors and creators and, of course, the audience, which makes it possible. So thank you all. Thank you so much, Kyle. Now, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to tune in right here Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time for my interview with Austin Lee Matthews, voice of Roche from Final Fantasy VII Remake, and a plethora of other characters. So make sure to tune in for that. And until next time, this has been Zach Wilson, and much more importantly, Kyle, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you guys later.